I remember it was a Friday night and one of the assistants told me, did you see what they say? I say, I'm going to tell my anger on social media. They say, no, you can't. Oh, and I say, I can't, you'll see. And I start Friday night around 11, a war on the level of vaccination. <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. They say, please stop. You forgot I'm a minister. I said, the weekend, I'm a citizen. <laughs> Hi, everybody. You're listening to Aid Evolved. And I'm your host, Rowena Luke. In this podcast, we speak with innovators, changemakers, and activists who are working on new ways to deliver healthcare and improve lives. Today, I am so honored to be speaking with Dr. Agnes Benaguaho. Dr. Benaguaho is a pediatrician, the former Minister of Health of Rwanda from 2011 to 2016. She's been a senior advisor to the Director General of the World Health Organization, a senior lecturer at Harvard Medical School, and co-founder of the University of Global Health Equity. I could go on, but I'll leave it there. If you're part of the movement to make life better in Africa, you need to listen to this episode and people like Agnes, who aren't afraid to upset existing institutions, who represent the governments of Africa, who are the essential actor in the delivery of essential health services, and who are leading the charge toward a better future. In the conversation ahead, you'll hear from her firsthand what it feels like when technologists steal or lock away your data. You'll hear her talk about the power of data and how she used it in her work to hold herself accountable to her people and to decide on what resources to allocate where. And you'll even hear about the power imbalance that emerges when the United Nations says one thing and a country says something else. You gotta stick around for the end, though, for an incredible story of how social media allowed Dr. Banyagwaho to right or wrong as a civilian on the public internet faster than anything she could have done as Minister of Health. Just before we dive in, a little housekeeping. If you like the show, please connect with us on LinkedIn or leave us a positive review. And I should probably also mention that I'm going to be hitting the road for a couple of months. I'll be traveling. So I'm going to put the podcast on a little bit of a hiatus, but I will be back later this year with a whole new season and maybe even a few more surprises and denouncements. Now back to Binaguaho. First, she shared a story when the hype and the promises of technology really fell flat in practice. They were crook in the system. People who come and send you something that uh, seems so good, but at the end doesn't, you know, what we call interoperability are not available with the system that is there already in place. So you have buy something that will be useful locally, but cannot be extended to the entire country, etc. And there are people who did so by purpose. Oh, they do that? To sell, you know, there are people are dishonest in all the field. It's not because you are selling a medical device that you are an honest person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, this taught us something is that we need to always uh, seek and have advisor in all the field. We doesn't have to trust. We need to, even if it's to create a group that is 
for a time for three months. So going across the world, find the best people who can advise you on this technology. And this has also helped us to improve the technology that was proposed and mm-hmm. to restitute to the world something that was more performing than what we found. I asked Dr. Benaguaho if she had any specific examples of technologies that she'd worked with where she was able to open up that data, make it interoperable, and what she did to make sure that that tool really fit the needs of Rwanda at the time. She gave an example from the early 2000s when she was executive secretary of Rwanda's National AIDS Control Commission. In this capacity, Dr. Benaguaho oversaw the efforts to get ARVs, antiretrovirals, to treat everyone with HIV. An example in early 2000, when the Global Fund started to provide IRVs to people living with HIV AIDS, for the people to be well followed, we need to create a system where the CD4 of the patient when the level of the virus in the blood, where regiment of IRVs were accessible to doctors, it's certainly, let's say the patient is in front of me, I have the last lab result, the last medicine tech, and et cetera, and the evolution. So to help that, we had to create, to develop internet access to the health facility. And right. that's why if you look in many places in the developing world, the use of e-tools have entered in the country to the health sector. Yeah, yeah, even faster in some cases than um, North America or Europe. Because the health workers were known, already educated people, so add those tools to health facilities and add there people who are able to use it were very secure and more easy than in other fields. And the specific program also had money for that. And what was good is to use the money of HIV, for example, to help manage the entire health of the people. And you just say, a person with HIV, she's a woman, she will get malaria, we will save her with very expensive drug at that time, and we lose her for malaria. So we need also to control how she will respond to malaria in case she has a malaria. This approach has helped the entire health sector to manage malaria, TB, HIV, and later on, non-communicable disease, etc., Good to hear. What ended up happening? You mentioned uh, that solution that wasn't interoperable, that, you know, had kept its data and locked it away uh, from it, you. What happened in that? 2000, you know, I think I, I, I learned the word interoperable in 2003. And that means there were other tools to manage health sector, the health information system that each health facility has. We made sure that whatever new tool we add, like even when we add a billing system with the epidemiologic management, et cetera, that all the system talk together and we doesn't have to add one staff per system, that one staff can manage 
at least there are two or three because there is holidays, etc. But uh, make it rational and also make it linked with like a pyramid, you know, from health center to district hospital so that the district hospital that is responsible for several health centers, 14 to 17, can the doctor who is there, the, the doctor was at district level, can manage and understand what happened to each patient that are in that district. Hmm? Wow, that's fantastic. Yeah, so this has built the health information system and using specific disease where there is money. You know, HIV is a curse, but HIV brought has helped many countries to build the health sector. Hmm? Mm, and invest when, in infrastructure. Yeah, yes, invest in infrastructure, invest in education, hmm? and invest in connectivity. Hmm, absolutely. In, in response and management. And after that, always when you think not about one disease, but when you build the system, when the money is there, how the response to that disease will be integrated in a future big response we have to the entire health sector, then you build the entire health sector with each at each step. It's great to hear how you're looking at the whole picture of the health sector and beyond and how it all fits together. I think there's so much work that's very siloed, very narrow, like one particular application, one particular diagnostic, one particular program, but really the job of a government, yeah. the job of a country is to strengthen and, the whole uh, thing. Really apply the principle that the win of today have to serve the future, not mm. to be a trap for the future. Yeah, because it's not just about the easy win. Today, yeah. it's about setting up the yeah. systems that can expand yeah. as time goes on. You mentioned you have a lot of positive experiences with technology as well. And I've, I've heard of some of the ways in which you've broken new ground uh, in terms of bringing innovative approaches and new technologies into healthcare work. Could you share one or two personal stories of ways in which you've experimented with new technologies or new technologies that you've seen transform Rwanda's healthcare sector? creating an epidemiological record system that we could trust. Hmm? Or we had people record, let's say, for example, all fever were recorded, malaria, etc. So we mm-hmm. invest a lot, but not necessarily in what killed the people. So connect the epidemiologic record to the reality of the country and use that as the basis to create the national response of the Ministry of Health, meaning respond really to the reality, not to... I remember when I started, we had a level of HIV record 13%. We we didn't know where it came from, but that was in our book and that's how we had that at UNAIDS. So we say we don't know where it comes from, but uh, we are going to act and as soon as possible do a national survey. And that's how in 2005, we did the first national survey when there was a demographic and health survey, you know, this uh, big survey you do every five years in countries, we added HIV and we were among the first to do that. And we found 3%. We were scared. We said, no, there is a mistake. So we obliged everybody to count. (laughs) (laughs) Do it again. Go back. Double check. (laughs) So because all this is so crucial, because it will be the place where you will invest the money 
to decrease the risk of the population to the risk of morbidity and mortality of the population. So you cannot make such a mistake. And when we had this discrepancy, but we just understand that how it was done uh, before was very questionable. And before it was done, you know, people coming, parachute from uh, Geneva, is coming and get out with this number and nobody questioned it. But the methodology was not necessarily good and the representativity of the population was not very good. What we conclude is that they went to the people who are the most, most at risk, like the prostitutes, the sex workers, etc. And this chain bias the result of all the nation. But when you go to, you take a good representation of all the strata of the society, just 3%. Wow, that's wild. I love that you leveraged the demographic and health survey, which is the the gold yeah. standard for health data in a country. Mm-hmm. You yeah. piggybacked on the expertise on the methodologies there in order to get solid HIV data. And then in your role as a healthcare leader, as, as later on Minister of Health in Rwanda, you needed that data to make decisions about where you allocate your budget. So it's very real. It's very like and, tangible. And, and more than that, it's needed for us over time to evaluate if we are good or not. Yeah, to hold that yourselves accountable. More important, our, our policies, our strategies, our plan, our activities, our connection with the people, good enough to see a decrease in prevalence in the population, and also our response to the disease, good enough to keep the people who are sick alive with a good life. So data are crucial. You cannot do anything without accurate data. Yeah. In a way, it's a way of imagining a more accountable government service or public service. You know, now we can actually talk to any individual in a community. We can actually get feedback on what's working, what's not in a way that hasn't been possible in history before now. Mm -hmm. And that Mm -hmm. creates the opportunity for a more responsive public sector uh, government service than has ever existed before. So we're in a unique space to seize that opportunity. It's allow us to really implicate people in their own health. What is the right? The right to health, not to be healthy, but it's the right to participate and to have the maximum the leaders can offer you according to the situation of the world and the financial situation of the country. So it allows all this, having good data allow all this. And also it allows to, to see, to compare with sister countries. If you get more results with this process, let's see together how I can implement it, how I can yeah. implement what I'm doing. Hmm? Yeah, absolutely. Did you face any resistance whenever you create more visibility? Often there's there's always somebody that's hiding in the shadows, you know, that benefits from poor data. Like I could imagine maybe the data was wrong because people were trying to get more funds for, you know, a higher disease but yeah, that actually we, existed. We saw that, but of, uh, there is something good with the leadership in Rwanda. It's for truth. And don't try to tamper for anything. Mm? Nice. And also we had the proof that even by giving the real data, and the advocacy to get enough money, 
from inside the country or from outside the country, from foundation, etc., it is not linked. Being honest, transparent, and fighting corruption is far more important to attract money. That's a great example for other countries to follow. Dr. Benagoho, you have a history of engaging with with social media and specifically with Twitter in a way that most African leaders and ministries of health have never done before. Can you just reflect on on that experiment that you ran? Uh, you used to be quite vocal and have a, a dialogue on Twitter, if I imagined. How did that start? Like, what was? How, tell me about uh, that. It started first by there was wrong rumors that were going against Rwanda hmm? on media, on journal, etc. So I decided to answer. It was not my duty, because, but um, you know I'm writing a lot, Anna. So I decided to answer. And there was also on Twitter, those, those uh, that uh, we emasculate a portion of the population. It's another type of... It was nonsense, but it was there out. So answering that. And by answering that, I start using the social media and I had fun. <laughs> it's a scary world. I'm glad you enjoyed it. <laughs> oh, I, no, I had fun because for, for uh, give, give you an example, the annual report of Gavi and UNICEF said Rwanda vaccinate 80% of the young children. I oh, knew it was more. No. Wow. It was about, about 90. That's so incredible. I remember it was a Friday night and one of the assistants told me, did you see what they say? And I was so mad. He said, but it's not so bad. <laughs> bad. Because now that this is the UN report, the day I will say it's wrong, we vaccinate more than 90, the line will be me, not the UN for the world. <laughs> so I start calling the head of UNICEF, I remember it was a Friday and it was night. And I called the head of Gavi and I was mad. But for them, we were so good. They didn't understand why I was mad about I say, I'm going to tell my anger on social media. They say, no, you can't. Oh, and I say, I can't, you'll see. And I start Friday night around 11, a war on the level of vaccination. And I just sat with a lot of fun saying the UN and Gavi say that we vaccinate only 80% of Rwanda kids. I know it's more. Maybe they want us to adopt some kids in Congo and in Burundi. I'm ready to. <laughs> That's yes, awesome. They, yes. They say, please stop. You forgot I'm a minister. I've said, the weekend I'm a citizen. <laughs> <laughs> and you can speak in your own capacity. Yes, can speak. And, I, and I won't make them ridicule. <laughs> because I say maybe to go back because I understand their mistake. They have a projection of fertility in Rwanda. So we are supposed to have this number potential of Rwandans, young, mm-hmm. that should be vaccinated. But because of good family planning, we got less children to vaccinate and they don't make the difference. They don't know that when you take family planning correctly, you don't produce the kids. <laughs> so, and it was, it was so good that within a week, uh-huh. they came to evaluate 
If ah. that done, the complaint through the Minister of Foreign Affairs, to the Prime Minister, Minister of Foreign Affairs, going to Geneva, going on, it will have taken uh, six months. And they will totally. say, we'll do another one uh, next year. And this will remain there. There, they came within a week. Wow. Because I say, I believe they need to all go back to primary school because it's so obvious, et cetera, et cetera. So they came and they say, please, you should stop. You know, you are a minister. I say, no. And say, they are there in front of me. I was tweeting. And uh, maybe they have started to revisit the primary school. <laughs> Mathematics, uh, they are ready to understand. Say, please stop. I say, and stop the day you stop. <laughs> and, you know, they, they evaluate, it was 93%. Wow, that's incredible. That's incredible yeah. work, Dr. Benel yeah. And also, yeah. an incredible bad reporting that can question the world report those organizations are doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I can imagine that you put so much effort into this. This is, this is work and your blood, sweat, and tears of your team to make this happen. Like you deserve and knowing also, what you achieved, the world knowing that. Uh, yes, but also that we pretend we vaccinate 90% of the kids. UNICEF come and said they vaccinate 80. Who the huh. world is going to trust? UNICEF. Mm. So that going to doubt of all our data is beyond vaccination. And they will say, either they lie, either they don't know how to collect data, whatever, we cannot trust them. Oh, wow. So you will spoil all the health sector data collection, data use. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there's one aspect of data, which is people think data is pristine, it's objective, but ultimately there's the, the belief in the data. There's the credibility of it. And you know your processes, you know, you absolutely. You know, you have that visibility, that transparency, that openness. And so creating a forum, like galvanizing them into action to look and be like, oh, yes, like we actually know what we're doing here in Rwanda. We gathered the data better than UNICEF did. Um, It was something that you made happen by taking to the streets. We we did uh, experience that like it was undermining the African capacity Mm. to manage a health sector. You know, Mm. today... I will say white supremacy. Mm? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I, oh. We haven't had another podcast well, on that you, one. You got the point because it was really insulting. They found no mistake in our collection, but they keep the numbers. That's and right. then numbers were given. You know, uh, I, we called a meeting and, and I was even not minister at the time. I was mm-hmm. permanent secretary. So we called a meeting and I had a very polite minister, etc who show them they are wrong. Uh, <laughs> the people based in Rwanda didn't want to contradict the people based in New York and Geneva. Mm, so power politics. Nothing. Yes. Yeah. So it changed nothing. That's how I start to make them ridicule globally through social media. And this change in less than a week, they came and they changed the data. But also it needs you to have good data, good books, because we tell them, we are going to take, you know, this flechette. Land there and do it yourself. And we will bring you in a car tomorrow morning. We go there and you, and you see how we collect. They did three like that. And it was exactly like we, we did. That's we amazing. See. One of the things I like, you're talking about your experiences uh, 
leveling the playing field, as it were. There's that emphasis on strong, transparent, open data systems that contain the truth. Yeah. And also there's the power of an open platform for discourse. Like what you achieved with Twitter and the Twitter example that you gave is creating a space for you as a, as a Rwandan leader yeah. to speak up Absolutely. to the global community and to be heard. And that's, Twitter, Twitter has its it, issues for sure, but that's, that's an important thing. The most important for me was each citizen was able to reach me anytime. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and when, directly. And when they have this opportunity, suddenly they feel more comfortable and trustful. Yeah, that yeah, yeah. you're a human. Okay, if there's a problem, I can join. I will be listened to through that platform. Then the trust came. That's it. That's all that we have for today. I hope you enjoyed our chat with Dr. Binyagoho on the importance of interoperability, the use of electronic medical records, public sector accountability, social media, and global power politics. And I'm just going to acknowledge we only touched on one very specific lens of Dr. Binagoho's work. This woman is a powerhouse. During her five years as Minister of Health in Rwanda, the average life expectancy across the country increased by an astonishing two and a half years. She's expanded the definition of what health and wellness is through her work at the University of Global Health Equity. And she's not slowing down. Last year, she published a piece in the Annals of Global Health called Eliminating the White Supremacy Mindset from Global Health Education. Damn, that caused a stir and forced the global health community to take a long, hard look at itself in the mirror. If you'd like to read it yourself or see some examples from her other prolific writing, check out our show notes at aidevolved.com. And thanks for joining us today. If you like what you heard, please leave us a positive review or connect with us on LinkedIn because I've just given up on Twitter. Last but not least, have a great summer, have a great winter, or whatever you have, wherever in the world you are, and wish me luck on my travels. I'll see you again in a couple of months.